I wanted to talk today about de-schooling society. Uh, this is, I, I think it's probably safe to say that this may be Illich's most famous book, most well-known book, uh, possibly also his most controversial book, um, Hard to Tell. Uh, it, it certainly occasioned a great deal of discussion when it came out in um, 1970. And I think, uh, you know, in, in speaking with David Cayley recently, he it was his opinion that this is the book that, that did generate the most public discussion, the most public debate um, of all of the um, the books that Illich published. So, so it's an important book. It's sort of vintage Illich in some respects, um, even though he comes to modify his views somewhat over time, uh, but still, I think, a, a good window into his thought. And again, easily a book that we could have given two, three, four weeks to, um, but uh, for better or for worse, I've opted for a little bit more breadth of coverage here uh, in our eight weeks together. So we'll give one week to this book. I'll try to hit some of its highlights and key themes. And then next week, we will move on to Tools for Conviviality, uh, which is a book that we will give two weeks to. And I'll do the same sort of thing. I'll send you some excerpts from that uh, book, which you can look over ahead of time if you like to kind of give you a flavor for what we're going to be uh, encountering. In, in in leading off this week, though, and, and talking about this book about schooling, about, about an institution that we all take for granted, in fact, an institution in which many of you are presently very much involved or have been involved throughout uh, your lives that has essentially defined um, most of your waking days uh, since you were a little child and one which we certainly take for granted. Um, I I think it's valuable to begin just with with a question. Well, let me back up even just a little bit. It's also an institution um, that has become the uh, focal point of public debate, um, obviously over the last year and a half, uh, over uh, the, the pandemic. So clearly one of the, the debates that, that has sort of roiled the public has been the question of whether or not uh, schools should be opening, how should they be opening, under what conditions should they be opening. And certainly, I think early on um, in in our season of, of quarantine last spring, um, it's hard to believe we're sort of coming up on a year now of, of our COVID anniversaries. Um, but, but when things shut down initially and uh, people had a moment to sort of reflect on what changes the pandemic had caused to their situation, how it had aggravated their circumstances, um, how it was changing the pace of life uh, or the, the conditions of life, one of the things that became apparent is that um, the the value of schooling or the presumed value of schooling um, shifted in people's minds to some degree, at least it occasioned a question about, you know, what is, what is the value of schooling? Uh, I, I often at that time thought to myself that what, what has become apparent that the, is that the chief function of schooling is to free both parents up for gainful employment. Right. And, and I say that, um, you know, not not cynically, just as a in some respects, as a matter of fact, um, it you know became pretty evident that if parents were not free to deposit their children somewhere, and I and I again don't say this with any sense of of, of blame um, casting or or of uh, inducing guilt or anything of the sort, but but if if parents weren't afforded that opportunity, they could not work. The uh, you know economy would sort of grind. Uh, people's incomes would be lost, et cetera. Uh, all very real concerns. Um, how, how infrequently at the time questions about the, the, the actual progress of a child's education came up uh, was, was striking, at least to me. Um, and, and they did eventually come up. I and mean, there were discussions about, you know, the, the setbacks to a child's education that were being incurred. Uh, or uh, perhaps uh, more appropriately, um, the, the the damage of sitting a small child down in front of Zoom for seven hours a day uh, as a substitute for schooling, um, or even maybe even adolescence under the same circumstances. So, it, 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 COVID conditions, as in so many other areas of life, sort of cast the institution of schooling into new relief. Right. In other words, it, it created a new background from which we might see the the outlines, the contours of what school is and was and its function, uh, perhaps more clearly, perhaps with, with a, a new sense of perspective. Um, 
And it certainly gave some people an opportunity to rethink uh, what what schooling ought to be uh, for their children. And, and of course, it, it is unfortunately the case that very often that rethinking and that ability to make, maybe be creative about what schooling could be um, fell into the hands of those who already uh, were economically privileged, had the, the luxury of being able to experiment in this way. Um, and, and those who could not, uh, those parents who were working 50, 60 hours a week uh, or maybe two jobs, uh, simply didn't have the luxury of being creative in this way with, with the possibilities of education. So I, 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 I'm not going anywhere specifically with this to, to arrive at one sort of conclusion about what COVID did to schooling, except to say that it, it, it raised questions again. Um, it, it cast the whole institution in new light. And I thought at the time that it would have been really helpful for um, folks to read Ivan Illich again in a new light. And, and it was interesting that this did actually happen on a couple of occasions. Um, I was sent... Um, so when you write a lot about someone or about a particular topic, then all of a sudden people start sending you articles. Hey, did you see this, this mention of Illich in the New York Times? Um, and this happened on at least, uh, and, and by the way, don't be dissuaded from doing that. If, if that's you, please send whatever you find. I, uh, I, I don't see it all. But in any case, um, I, I had a couple of op-eds sent to me about schooling, about education, uh, that did reference, uh, Ivan Illich's work favorably. Um, and so that, that was interesting. And, and I don't know how many people did go back to Illich during this time, but it would have been a fruitful exercise. So, so that said, um, the other um, sort of preparatory comment I wanted to make here is that there's, I find it valuable to be made to think about something about which I ordinarily otherwise would never think about, right? Um, there are, there are things that we, uh, maybe sort of question, right? So, you know, this is a very 60s sort of thing and I'm not that old, but, you know, question authority, right? This is a sort of a, ma- a mantra. Um, but, but nobody ever said question schooling, right? To question the whole institution of schooling. And to just even think about why do we do this? Um, I mean, you're, you're students. I, uh, majority of you are anyway, right? And, and you can ask this question, you know, in a very sort of existential way, right? What, what am I doing? Right? What do I think? I'm getting out of this. Um, what, what are my aims? How does this fit into what I intend to do? Uh, is it meeting those aims and those goals? Um, is there a, a, a difference between the purported um, aims of schooling that, I, that are, are sort of promoted, that, that I'm sold on, and the reality that I'm experiencing? Uh, all of these are, are, are really legitimate questions, but to even sort of go deeper than that, um, the, the very idea that we need schooling, right? That schooling is just sort of the, the assumed thing that a child will do beginning somewhere around age four, if not earlier, um, you know, to say nothing of the pressure in certain elite circles to make sure that you have your child in elite pre-kindergarten programs in order to prepare them for the, the elite um, uh, grammar school and then on to, a, you know, a life of, of elite institutions that will prepare them to do, be high wage earners, et cetera, et cetera, right? But that even for those who have no such grand aspirations, nonetheless, we, we just assume, yes, of course, of course the child is going to go to school. Um, where does that, of course, come from? Uh, why is that the case? Has his, has that been the case historically? Um, and then if the answer is no, then what have been the alternatives? How have children in cultures without universal compulsory schooling been educated? Have they been educated? Um, these are all, I think, questions that most of us, at least I will you know, speak for myself, these are not questions that I ordinarily would have asked when I was in school myself, when I was an undergraduate or in graduate school or even thereafter. Um, but it's the kinds of questions that I think Yvonne Illich invites us to, to ask. And so I think that that's, that's a useful exercise, uh, even if we don't necessarily end up with a, with a clear answer or a clear set of, of prerogatives as to what to do. Uh, the questions, I think, are useful and illuminating. So all that said, let me talk just a little bit about um, what Illich himself said about how he came to uh, this question of schooling, to, to write this, this critique of the school system. Um, and a lot of this sort of comes out of uh, later interviews that he gave, uh, and I'm leaning very heavily on, on the interviews he gave David Cayley uh, in the early 1990s. Um, and and the, the short answer to this is that, you know, Illich says that he hadn't thought about schooling very much. Uh, his own schooling was sort of haphazard. Uh, he talks about as a child, you know, in his multi-ethnic, multi, um, 
a linguistically varied upbringing, right? He had learned Italian, German, and French as a child. These were, in some respects, his, his early languages. And, and then um, he had had the luxury of, of reading in his grandmother's uh, library as a child. And, and it seems like it was a very sort of hodgepodge um, kind of education, lacking the, the formal qualities that we often think of, of childhood education. And of course, it was marked by um, Illich's family's move from place to place uh, under very obviously difficult circumstances in the mid 20th century, early 20th century. Uh, so all of that said, um, when he begins to think about schooling, he says is when he's in, in some respects put uh, not solely in charge, but, but involved in uh, administering the education uh, of of the, what we would think of as the public schools in Puerto Rico. So you remember that he had spent some time in New York as a parish priest working specifically amongst uh, the Puerto Rican community, the newly immigrated Puerto Rican community there. Um, and that his success there had sort of earned him an appointment vice rector of uh, the Catholic University in Puerto Rico. And not long after that, to a position on the board uh, that oversaw all of the educational institutions in Puerto Rico, public educational institutions in Puerto Rico. And it is at that point, he says, that uh, he began to ask, well, if if I am in this position, I, what is it that school ought to be doing? Uh, is it succeeding? Um, he began to think more deeply about, about the role of school. Um, and so from that point on, and this is in the mid-50s, uh, Deschooling Society is published in 1970, and it's essentially a collection of essays uh, that Illich had previously written, uh, rather than, you know, a book he sat down and wrote from uh, beginning to end. And so it reflects f- nearly 15 years of thought and study and research uh, into the institution of, of schooling. And, and to be very clear, he has, he, he doesn't just have learning in mind, right? But the, the very distinct uh, characteristic of com- universal compulsory schooling. And, and so this is an important distinction to keep in mind as we, as we read about what he has to say here. It's this, one might say it's a system of schooling as it is administered in modern, uh, Western and, or, or simply industrialized societies that he calls into question. So he begins to think about it and comes to think that, you know, on the one hand, uh, the institution as, as it is, uh, found does not deliver, right? So the first problem is it simply doesn't deliver. And it really doesn't deliver for the poor. And Illich is, is concerned with the institution of schooling in rich and poor nations. But in Puerto Rico and later in Mexico, um, he does write with a specific concern for the additional burdens it places on uh, the poor of those society. And, and that's a very uh, odd way for us to think about it, a counterintuitive way for us to think about it who for the most part have assumed that right, schooling is the key to success, right? Schooling is what lifts you out of poverty. Uh, and in 1970, Illich is saying, well, uh, that actually isn't what is happening uh, as far as he can observe it happening. Uh, and then it also sort of becomes a key. It, it's his first institutional critique. And already in these schooling society, we, we hear him mention medicine, we hear him mention transportation. And so it, it's it's the first critique of an institution. So it's, it's a pattern of critique that's going to be reapplied into other circumstances and other case studies. And one of the things that I'll, uh, that we'll look at in just a moment is that there is this language, this religious language. So I tried to pull out a couple of excerpts there that, that gave you a sense for how Illich was paralleling the school to the church. And that, that ultimately it is a kind of critique of the institutionalized church that is in the background of this critique of schooling. Um, and so you'll remember too biographically that uh, this comes after Illich has, after a few confrontations with the Catholic hierarchy, agreed to, to stop functioning in the role of a priest. So he's no longer speaking as a theologian. He'll say he's speaking as a historian. Um, and so the, the in, in my reading, it seems to me the theological language gets veiled to some degree. We, we don't hear that explicit uh, sort of religious and spiritual vocabulary that we read, for instance, in uh, the essay on silence that we read in, in the last class or that we discussed in the last class. But there are here still very evident uh, cases where the language of liturgy, the language of church establishment is being deployed. And that, I think, cues us into the the frame that Illich is bringing to bear on this, which itself is is interesting and, and that we'll talk a little bit about. So 
Having said that, then, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll highlight a couple of these quotes and sort of use them as a gateway into the argument that, that Illich is making here. And he begins, you know, the, the opening paragraphs of Deschooling Society, um, the, the two paragraphs that I gave you, the first two paragraphs, come from the opening pages. Uh, and, and they really just rhetorically um, get, get you right off the bat, right? So I'll read this first paragraph. Um, Illich writes that many students especially those who are poor, intuitively know what the schools do for them. They school them to confuse process and substance. Once these become blurred, a new logic is assumed. The more treatment there is, the better are the results. Or escalation leads to success. He goes on, he says, the pupil is thereby schooled to confuse teaching with learning, great advancement with education, a diploma with competence, and fluency with the ability to say something new. His imagination is likewise schooled, uh, and he puts this in, in quotations, to accept service in the place of value. And here are these hints at these other institutional critiques. Uh, medical treatment is mistaken for health care, Social work for the improvement of community life, police protection for safety, military poise for national security, the rat race for productive work, health, learning, dignity, independence, and creative endeavor are defined as little more than the performance of the institutions which claim to serve these ends and their improvement is made to depend on allocating more resources to the management of hospitals, schools, and other agencies and questions. Okay, so it, in many respects, the, the, you know, the heart of Illich's argument is already present there. And one of the, the key concerns as I read Illich is that, and, and by the way, I, I do want to say that that little phrase, right, as I read Illich, um, I, I don't want to... Uh, suggests that this is a, an authoritative interpretation of Ivan Illich's work. Uh, but think of it as, as my engagement with his work and in my reading of him and, and take it as such, please. And, and as an invitation for, for you to do your own reading and, and come to your own conclusions. But that said, um, you know, as I read him here, the idea is that school is in, in some respects, the school system as it is institutionalized is the gateway drug to institutional care throughout your whole lifetime, right? It's what teaches elsewhere, and I don't think I, in any of the excerpts here, he uses this phrase, but he does use it in the book, the hidden curriculum, right? What what are, you know, you're being taught your various subjects, but you're also learning other things implicitly through the process of schooling. So what is the hidden curriculum, right? What is the um, never quite explicitly stated lesson that one takes from the process of going through school as a child. And he thinks that essentially it is this dependence on institutional wares, um, on institutional services. And, and there is obviously a kind of substitution here that Illich thinks is probably, you know, deeply problematic. So in the case of schooling, I think it's almost, um, you know, the easiest case to, to sort of understand this, because I think most of us there, why, there are widespread critiques of the way schooling is being practiced in the United States. You know, so as, as a longtime educator in various contexts, um, you know, I can assure you that, uh, there, there's always debate. There's always been public debate, um, in my lifetime about the quality of our schools. And so there's this sense that something is broken. Um, and Illich is only asking us to th- sort of think that, that what is broken is deeper than what we often think it's, it's broken, right? We often just think, well, if we just give more money uh, and, and get better curriculum or add computers, right? In the 70s, it might have been tele- radio, then television. Now, if we add computers, uh, now if we have la- one laptop per student, right? If we just add something, the institution will be able to do what it's, what it's meant to do. And it would just have us to, to see that actually the institutional logic itself is, is self-defeating. And, and the problem is much deeper than merely a lack of resources. Okay. So that, that said, though, in, in education, we can see where cl- the institutional promise sort of falls short of 
the reality. And, and I think most of us can track with this, right? That, that the idea that, um, how does he put it here? To confuse schooling with learning, right? That the idea that you, if you go through school, you will have learned something, uh, is to most of us who have gone through the process evidently a fallacy, right? There's no necessary connection between those two things. You can go through school, uh, and, and realize that you've actually not really learned or that by some um, more ideal standard when education consists of you haven't been educated. Um, that great or that great advancement is uh, equivalent with education. That simply by being promoted from one grade to another, this is, is, is a testament to continued education or that a diploma equals competence, right? That being given this diploma or this certificate that you are in fact competent to do what this diploma is ostensibly certifying. Um, I think most of us recognize this, that, you know, even wh- whether in ourselves or maybe in some of our peers, uh, we can, I think, see intuitively that even in the best schools, there's no necessary equation between going through the system and being educated. And in fact, we might have counterexamples. Uh, and, and sometimes our society makes, uh, you know, a happy story about these counterexamples of people who, who flunked out of, uh, the traditional school system, but nonetheless managed to learn something, right? To succeed, um, to excel, to live a good life, uh, despite that. And so, so we, we know to some degree from experience that the institution doesn't always deliver what it promises, uh, and that there are counterexamples to the idea that you must have this process. You must go through this process in order to, to lead a good life or a successful life, et cetera. But that the, the connection between these two things is part of what schooling does. It, it teaches us to depend upon this process. Um, and so that we come to depend upon these this institution as we come to depend later um, or simultaneously on health, uh, or excuse me, on health services, for instance, or on the, on, you, you know, this line about, um, you know, confusing, uh, how does he put it exactly? Police protection for safety. Uh, as I read it in the past few months, it certainly resonated in a new way, uh, given the way that, um, the, the past several months have played out here with respects to the very public protests and police response to it. And so there is, there's this, um, logic, underlying logic that Illich is trying to identify here that he sees very evidently at work in schools, but that also is, is very evidently at work in other institutions as well. So let me, let me pause for a moment, um, and ask if, if this has raised any questions or any points that you want to discuss before we, you know, dive into the, the remainder of this? I think that uh, I, I recognize that schooling um, falls short in many respects, but the, as I look back on my educational experience, I failed to realize what was being offered to me and, um, and regret the fact that I didn't commit uh, more wholeheartedly to the whole process. And I'm not so sure that it's possible for a child to grasp what is being done on their behalf in the educational process. They don't set goals naturally. Um, the discipline problems in the classroom usually override any sense of orderly learning and, and teaching. Uh, and it's, it's just uh, a very tall order to get to the point where a young child, even someone up into their teens, has the self-motivation and the discipline to make their contribution to the learning process. And I don't I don't know exactly how to, to do that. Most learning seems to squelch that curiosity more than. Uh... Yeah. And, and I think certainly on that, on, on that very last point, and I, I think that would be part, part of what Illich would want to highlight is that this, this model where, whereby the, the curriculum is dictated, um, it's, ordered in such a way that everybody passes through it in exactly the same way, simply by virtue of their 
um, of their age, right? The, the, the coincidence of their age, right? And I think, you know, um, you know, most teachers recognize, would recognize that any one classroom, uh, there's a, a, a wide diversity of capacities and of interests, um, uh, of, you know, backgrounds, preparation, et cetera, life circumstances, uh, that certainly make it very odd to think that you can apply the same curricular process to all of the 30 students gathered in your, in your class there. And I think part of that, um, is, 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 is the very, is the very problem, right? That, that it, it squelches to some degree the, whatever desire we might have to learn, to know, because it is, is over, um, over programmed, right? It, it's too rigid in its concern. And to some degree, it has to be, right? And I think this is the, the paradox, right? Because you don't, get um, a situation where you decide you're going to school the whole population and thus have millions of children in school without, at, to some level, um, bureaucratizing the process, right? Scaling it. And I think it's, in, again, I think scale is always sort of critical to these sorts of questions. Um, it's in trying to scale up that you lose the responsiveness, the openness, the freedom of movement for the individual. Um, and that I think becomes part of the problem. Um, at least again, like I said, this is part of the problem as, as Illich would see it. Um, as much as I would fail in this regard, I've heard it said, and I guess it's not this way. I don't know if it's this way anymore, but at least in the past, um, in Italy, if you were in school and if you disobeyed enough times, you were completely kicked out of school. Um, and so no one wanted to disobey too much because they were afraid of being kicked out of school forever. Um, but I, I see, a, I sympathize with what Tim has expressed. Um, and I think I see a bigger problem of not, maybe not so much discipline being the problem, but, um, more disconnect where you're it's like you're you're taken from your parents and you're put into a classroom with all these children and there's the teacher at the head of the classroom who's running the show and trying to get you to accept things and you're it's like an an enlightenment factory where you're trying to um make these students like these great minds but in reality i think we're all particular and i i kind of wish back for the days when um, kids learn from their parents uh, like a trade. And I, on the one hand, I would like it if everyone has the opportunity to go to school and if they really want to, to join in on the enlightenment train. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that's the best way to raise children mm -hmm. uh, is to throw them all together with, uh, frankly, a stranger in the front. Um, unless like a relationship is established. And so basically my point is that I, yeah, I don't think we're doing schooling right. And part of me wishes that people had the option to either send their kids. Well, they do have the option to send their kids to school, but, and they go, they'll do homeschooling. Um, and that's fine, but that's hard to do nowadays because parents have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I wish there was more of the option present and I wish it wasn't assumed that like even after grade public grade school, you are going to college because that used to not be assumed. It used to be a great honor that, Oh, you're going to university. You're going to college. Um, that's great for you. Um, but now people who graduate from high school might struggle to get a job um, or at least get a, a job that, they can sustain themselves with. Right. And so anyway, I just wish it wasn't necessary to do well. And, 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 I, and I will say, I think in many ways, this is, this is precisely Illich's concern, right? That, that it is mandatory. I mean, he says in various places, I'm, I'm not against schools. I'm against mandatory compulsory schools and, and schooling. And that that then becomes a passport to uh, being able to survive in society, right? Exactly as you described. Um, in fact, this might be a good point to kind of just move on to a couple of these quotes. I will address some of those very concerns. Um, 
the the next one much shorter it follows not uh, far after in fact very very uh next paragraph it might be if i remember correctly and he said what he aims to show he says that i will show that the institutionalization of values leads inevitably to physical pollution social polarization and psychological impotence three dimensions in a process of global degradation and modernized misery i will explain how this process of degradation is accelerated when non-material needs are transformed into the demands for commodities, things that can be measured uh, and um, sort of regimented and, and sold. Now, I, I include this those three lines um, because if I think of those three things, right, bear in mind 19, 1970. So if I think of physical pollution, in other words, degradation of the environment, uh, social polarization, and psychological impotence, right, by which I mean a sense that we can't deal with the world we've made for ourselves, right? And so in this, in this respect, I think of, um, burnout becoming sort of the characteristic condition of the millennial generation, as some, as some have argued. Uh, I think of the rise of, uh, mental health issues, um, of, um, what's the, the sort of, um, new term, relatively recent term for deaths of despair. Uh, that are on the rise. And so all of that sort of fit under the, the bubble of psychological impotence, social polarization, and physical pollution. So if, if, if these are the things that Illich thinks we are headed towards and already sort of on the track, on track towards, and, and I see where we are, it seems to me that, that something is right in his analysis, right? I mean, these are three features of our contemporary situation, undeniable features of our contemporary situation. Um, and so that, that to me again suggests that there's something to this analysis, uh, that Illich is offering us because I think he saw quite clearly where we were heading. Let me move on then to the next one. Every simple need, he says, to which an institutional answer is found permits the invention of a new class of poor and a new definition of poverty. And he gives the example. Ten years ago in Mexico, it was a normal thing to be born and to die in one's own home and to be buried by one's friends. Only the soul's needs were taken care of by the institutional church. Now to begin and end life at home become signs either of poverty or of special privilege. Dying and death have come under the institutional management of doctors and undertakers. Now, I, that has obviously on the surface very little to do with schooling, but I thought it was another great example of something we just take for granted, right? We take for granted that... Um, when someone passes, they will almost certainly do so um, in in a, in a hospital setting. Well, maybe not almost certainly, right? But we imagine that happening in a hospital setting, uh, not at home. You know, hospice care now tries to sort of navigate that a little bit better, recognizing um, what in some respects might might be framed as the inhumanity of, of institutionalized death. Uh, but even the, the 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 care of the body, right, which is immediately removed from the home. Whereas I'm sure there are people present in, you know, with living memories of a time where the burial of a loved one, that, that whole, the, all the rituals surrounding that happened in the home and the auspices of the family as he describes. And so you have all these ways in which we had cared for ourselves and for one another, which then become the purview of sort of certified and legitimated institutions. They become commodities and now you pay, uh, so much so that, that it, it, it some people can't afford uh, a decent burial or can't afford the services of the undertaker. And so things that used to be human competencies now become uh, industrial commodities, something that was a public or common good or, or something that a, a community came together to do now tra- are transformed into services that we depend on. And we are de-skilled in this way. I don't know that Illich ever uses that term precisely, but it's a word I frequently have um, recourse to to describe what he is, you know, to to name what he is describing here, right? That we cede competencies to institutions for a variety of reasons. Um, And so this is, again, another good example of the sort of thing that is happening. Um, Somewhere else uh, in de-schooling society, in another uh, place I didn't excerpt, Illich recognizes that uh, how does he put it exactly? Let me see if I can call this uh, to mind from memory, right? That that um, education for all has to imply education by all. And that, in other words, that the part of the problem is that we have um, made education 
the work of a, of a select few of the teacher in front of the class. Whereas it would have been more naturally and organically um, distributed throughout society, right? Whether in the family or in the way that a child would uh, be uh, apprenticed, right? To someone who would teach them a trade. There are all these various ways in which society would distribute the work of learning. Now it's been sort of monopolized by the school as an institution. Uh, and which then just to, because I'm recalling it now, David, one of the comments you made too reminded me of the fact that part of what Illich argues here is that, uh, it's, it's in the nature of the thing that the more you hand out high school diplomas, the, the less they mean. Thus, you require the college undergraduate degree. And the more you hand those out, and I don't mean that, per, you know, derisively, right? But the more, uh, those become common, um, you know, coin, then, the more that the, the MA becomes something to be desired to set you above, right? So in other words, institution simply feeds demand for itself, right? Uh, and this is part of the, the nature of the problem. Now, here's a, one of these places where he draws on the question, the, the analogy to the church, right? So he says, equal educational opportunity, and forgive me a moment as I expand this for myself, equal educational opportunity is indeed both a desirable and a feasible goal. But to equate this with obligatory schooling is to confuse salvation with the church. School has become the world religion of a modernized proletariat and makes futile promises of salvation to the poor of a technological age. Right. And so there's that analogy that I want to just take a moment to unpack a little bit, because elsewhere um, in in describing how he came to this critique of schooling, he, he says very interestingly enough, well, it, it, it has its roots to some degree also in his study of theology. And he says specifically, I was specifically interested in the subset of, of theology known as ecclesiology, right? The study of the church. One of the major branches of, of in, what in Protestant circles we call systematic theology, right? So he says this is the study of the church as an institution and the way it's organized. And then he says, and, and even um, further, I had a special interest in a subset of that subset of theology uh, that studied the liturgy, right? So he, he had uh, a, a keen awareness for liturgical, what we might think of as liturgical formation. And that, that, that lens, right, becomes the lens by which he starts to analyze the school. And so he, he sees himself in Puerto Rico in the midst of this educational establishment. And, and he sees, I see nothing more than sort of the trappings of a kind of religious order, right? Of, of a, uh, of a religiously and liturgically organized, um, uh, situation, right? So what, and, and, and then part of what he is going to argue here is that what, what he wants is the disestablishment of schools. And, and this is language that it very consciously draws on the language of the disestablishment of churches in the American context, right? He says he's, he's speaking in the American context, and just as in our founding, in the American founding, the church was disestablished, which is to say there is no national church, right? There is no body, no ecclesial body that the laws of our land require us to pay taxes to, uh, to be baptized in, that, it, that become sort of the gateway into civic and public life. And, and he says, good. And, and furthermore, we should do the same for schooling. In other words, you shouldn't have to go through the ritual of schooling in order to just live your life uh, in, in our society, right? Uh, that this, this disadvantages people. Uh, and it also, to go back to the quote about, um, you know, how uh, every simple need to which an institutional answer is found permits the invention of a new class of poor, this is another sort of dimension of Illich's critique. Uh, it is, it is this, is that, especially for the poor in the rural areas, Puerto Rico, Mexico, that he was familiar with, the idea was like, okay, now you, you can go to school and, and the other, you, know, you were poor before and disadvantaged. You were, you lacked power and you knew that. Right? But you had a certain uh, ability to subsist. Uh, yeah, I, I, as I read him again, you know, Illich is a great defender of, of the human capacity to subsist. Um, and the dignity that attaches to that. Uh, granted, that subsistence never gives you the five-bedroom home with the three-car garage, right? But nonetheless, you, you're able to subsist. And, and now, however, you promise advancement up out of this underdeveloped status. Uh, but what you make possible is the, the further 
layering of a new kind of psychological poverty, right? Where, where now you know you depend upon this process of schooling and that if you don't make it for whatever reason, that you now understand yourself as a dropout. So this is actually a very fascinating um, part of Illich's analysis that goes back to the question of liturgy, right, and ritual. So Illich uh, says that there's a particular scholar of, of ritual in the mid-20th century that, that really helped him sort of formulate this. And in this scholar's view, a ritual, like a rain dance, this is the analogy that, uh, the particular example that Illich uses, right? The, the, part of, the, of what a rain dance does for, for you, part of what ritual does is it embodies the internal contradictions of, of what you're doing, of what you believe, but in such a way that it allows you to avoid confronting that contradiction. And so here, let me flesh it out with the example of the rain dance, right? Once you do the rain dance, it then becomes possible if it doesn't rain, right? So you, you say you believe uh, that the gods give you rain, right? And now... That belief, uh, which, you know, may or may not be true, you've, you've, inst- you've ritualized into the rain dance. What that allows for is for when the rain does not come, for the possibility to, to then say not that maybe the gods don't send rain, but rather I did the rain, dra- did the rain dance inappropriately, right? I, I failed in my performance of the ritual, right? And so you, you can keep believing the myth, as it were, right, that the gods bring the rain. And the, what the ritual allows you to do is sort of deflect blame away from the internal contradiction onto yourself, in a sense, right? And so uh, apply this to schooling. The myth is schooling leads to success, right? However that success is defined, although almost always it's defined in, in sort of monetary financial terms, right? Um, well, if if that doesn't if that promise evidently doesn't deliver, why do we keep believing in it? It's because we've created a ritual that has allowed us to think that if it has not worked, it's simply because my ritual process is broken. And thus the school needs more funding. I need to better apply myself. I need one more degree. There's always something that you can, you can point at uh, that you have failed at as a society or as an individual in order to sort of, um, justify the the way in which the myth fails to obtain in in real life, as it were, right? In, in actual practice. Okay, let me let me pause again because I know this is a lot. Even as I'm sort of saying it, I realize I've thrown a lot of moving parts of Village's argument out here, um, and and there's a little bit more that I'd like to get to uh, before we close. And we're coming we're about ten minutes left before we we wrap up. Uh, but let me pause for just another opportunity for questions or comments to clarify any any part of that. I think one fundamental problem here is we have to decide who is responsible for learning. Is it the student? Mm-hmm. Is it the community? Is it the teacher? I think we've we've short shorted the the student, given them uh, the freedom to force that responsibility on other folks. And we have to find ways to reinstill that sense of, of personal responsibility in the educational process. That's where, uh, if I look back on my education, uh, that's where I fell short mm-hmm. was that I never took it seriously. And, and uh, perhaps my teachers weren't that engaging. Perhaps the subject matter wasn't that interesting, but I didn't contribute my uh, best effort to that process. And I don't know if it's possible to get a child to understand that with enough um, uh, reasoning process to really put themselves uh, to the task. Yeah. It's, it's, it, 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 I mean, we're dealing with sinful kids that are learning their way through life and, um, to, to be a responsible citizen is the, probably the farthest thing from their minds at that point, or to earn a living. Sure, right. And that, the money that, that supports the family just kind of materializes. You don't even understand why your dad or your mom get paid. Um, it, I think it's just beyond uh, a child 
to grasp all that responsibility in a way that can make them a successful student, a learner. And, and I, I do wonder, though, to what degree the, um, the, the way that schooling is, is conducted is, is part of this equation, right? That it's, it's not only that the child, you know, one way of, of reading that, um, you know, common to might be for someone to say, uh, with some justification, it seems to me, well, then that's a, a very good reason why the child shouldn't be in, in this kind of setting to begin with, right? That, that this is an inappropriate setting, um, for some, for, for, for a child to be in to begin with, right? Because the expectations, what we expect of them, are, are not nat, one might say are not natural to where they are, right? The way that they will learn. And, and, and I think part of what Illich would say is that they will learn. They will learn a lot, right? They will learn a lot. In fact, he, he goes on to say at, at more than one place, part of the problem that we don't always recognize is that most of what most of us have learned, we haven't learned in school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I, I think that's, you know, it's one of those things where Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't stop to think about it because we connect learning with school so tightly that then if I begin to reflect, you know, even I, I have a, 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 some of you know, I have a five-year-old and a, um, and a, it's just about to be four-year-old and we, we haven't done any formal schooling with them, but they've learned a lot. Right. And, and I, 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 I because I, I have under Illich's tutelage sort of not said to myself, well, the business of learning will happen when I send them off to, to the professional yeah. educator, right? I begin to see, right, these, these opportunities where, where learning is happening all the time and where, where, when their interest is peaked, I can say, well, yeah, let's talk about this, right? Let's, uh, let me point you in, in the direction of this or let me pick up this, um, you know, at their age, you're not reading, right? But they, but here's this, you know, picture book of the, of the solar system because you're curious about that kind of thing, you know? And so there, there are these opportunities for learning that don't have to be institutionalized in this way. Now, part of the problem here, of course, is that we've already built a society around it, as evidenced by the pandemic and the, and the, the need to get kids in school so that our economy doesn't fall through the, through the floor, right? So right now, it's very diff- difficult to just sort of say, okay, let's do away with it, that, that, that there's something about that right now that's, in, in, you know, impractical, perhaps, we might say, right? But that doesn't mean we ought not to recognize... I don't think where the problems are in, in work in whatever way possible towards better alternatives. But I, I guess my general sense, you know, Tim, is that part of that sense that the, the, the child just doesn't know what, he, what he's being given is exactly part of the, the problem we're dealing with. And, and I wonder, ought they to know, right? Um, or is there not a better way uh, of, yeah. of teaching them? To say nothing about what exactly they're being taught, right? Um, the question of, of what makes it, you know, uh, what makes it to the level of curricular requirement and why um, and at what stage, et cetera. Right. I wanted to let me let me just mention this. Uh, and, and since I was going to give two weeks to tools for conviviality, we can let this discussion kind of spill over into into next week. We can wrap up uh, de-schooling. There are a couple of more things that, that maybe I thought would be worth um, talking about here. But one last point I did want to make is that the, the, the book concludes with a remarkable little essay called, um, oh, what is it? The Myth of uh, Epimethean Man, Epimethean Man, right? So it, it's Illich's retelling of the myth of Prometheus, who we know very well, or at least we sort of know that name. We, we know the adjective Promethean to suggest hubristic and whatnot. It's the god who, um, in one version of the story, right, steals fire from the gods and gives it to the humans. Um, he he um, had a brother named Epimetheus, and so there's this, this, um, retelling of the myth that, that's the, the core of the last chapter. And I want to just read a couple of paragraphs, uh, from that last chapter. It's, they're the last paragraphs that I, that I gave you here. Uh, and I want to just leave you with this as something to think about. He says there that we must rediscover the distinction between hope and what he here calls expectation. Hope in its strong sense means trusting faith in the goodness of nature while expectation as I will use it here, means reliance on results which are planned and controlled by man. Hope centers desire on a person from whom we await a gift. Expectation looks forward to satisfaction from a predictable process which will produce what we have the right to claim. The Promethean ethos 
has now eclipsed hope. Survival of the human race depends on its rediscovery as a social force. And then he adds a little after, man has become, or excuse me, man has developed the frustrating power to demand anything because he cannot visualize anything which an institution cannot do for him. Surrounded by all powerful tools, man is reduced to a tool of his tools. Each of the institutions meant to exercise one of the primeval evils, that is the evils that flew out of Pandora's box, which you discussed a moment ago, uh, a little bit earlier, has become a fail-safe, self-sealing coffin for man. Man is trapped in the boxes he makes to contain the ills Pandora allowed to escape. The blackout of reality in this, in the smog produced by our tools has enveloped us. Quite suddenly we find ourselves in the darkness of our own trap. I, and I realize in reading that that requires a little bit of unpacking and, and to be situated in that last, the, the overall argument of that last chapter. But it is, I think, even a more fundamental element of Illich's critique in this book, um, that I think an, animates his work generally. And that is the, 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 the difference between positioning ourselves vis-a-vis the world nature as an adversary to be mastered and conquered and planned and engineered on the one hand, and then receiving it fundamentally as a gift on the other hand. And, it, and, and this is, a, I think, one of the, to me, one of the deepest ways in which we can frame the consequences of technological culture. Uh, industrialized society, how Western, modern Western society, however we want to frame it, is that it, it encourages us to adopt that position of planners and engineers and conquerors and masters of reality, the world, nature, other human beings, right? Rather than fundamentally as those who are the recipients of a gift and then the, the different attitude that those two entail, right? Um, you know, a, a, a whole way of, of, a, a mode of living, right? Uh, a way of being in the world flows out of that distinction. Two ways of being in the world flow out of that distinction. So I'll leave you with that to think about. Uh, we'll return to some of these themes and just kind of tidy this up next week. And then we'll begin tools for conviviality, uh, which in many ways expands on and develops some of the ideas that are nascent, the institutional critique that is nascent um, in, um, in, in de-schooling society. Any final thoughts or comments? questions okay um something that might be good to bring up later is that like this is actually what you're describing is actually pervasive in science right now too um so that just might be good to bring up later but just wanted to put a note on it that like this isn't just limited to services that we experience like this is also kind of how science progresses right now is through uh those institutions um, and there are a lot of scientists that are starting to recognize that now as a problem. All right. Thank you for that, David. Yeah. And again, as always, I hope that, uh, the, the chief end of what we've done is to simply get us to think and, um, and to, and to look at things from a slightly different perspective and, uh, maybe to, to, to question. And I, I meant to say this earlier at the beginning and I'll, I'll wrap up this, with this. There is a kind of, uh, posture, question everything which I think is cynical and self-defeating and, and hubristic. I don't think the point is just to engage in, in, in parlor games, questioning authority or questioning power or questioning. It is to actually deeply question with a desire uh, to understand, a desire for the good uh, for ourselves and for our neighbors, for our communities. Um, and so it's a questioning deeply without cynicism, right? without the kind of nihilistic posture of, of nothing matters. And so we'll just, you know, uh, subject everything to a kind of hermeneutic suspicion. I think that's equally unfruitful. Uh, but I do hope that in, in the best spirit with humility, we do seek to question um, and to see how uh, things might be better, even if just marginally. Okay. Thank you all so much for your time. And um, we'll see you again next week.